Uh, I was here earlier this year. Um, I, uh, a book just came out that I wrote, my second book, and I shared with the, uh, with the men on a Saturday morning and Joy and all the ladies made an incredible breakfast and uh, we hung out together. And uh, when this began to materialize for me to be here this morning with you, I asked Pastor Reagan, hey, could I share that same message? Because I feel like the men weren't listening. No, I didn't say that. I said, uh, that uh, I, f I felt like I wanted to kind of share a variation of that message. And he said, yeah, go for it. So I want to talk to you about one of the chapters in my new book. The book is called The Dreamer or Dreamer, if you're American. Uh, and it's, it's about seizing your destiny in God. And I talk about Joseph's life where he saw the finish line, but what he didn't realize was it was a hurdle race. And he had to overcome some hurdles to get there. It wasn't just a straight run to the finish line. And so it's about pushing through obstacles to reach the dream God has and that he's put in your heart. And so one of the obstacles is disappointment. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. And if you have a Bible, then uh, we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures because the Word of God is the basis for all truth, isn't it? And so uh, you want to always look at everything through the lens of Scripture. And that to me is a priority too. And so I'm going I'm to talk from the Old Testament, one passage, one from the New Testament, and then a couple of current day illustrations and uh, part of my own testimony of disappointment. So let's start out from John chapter 11. This is uh, the story a story of three of Jesus' closest friends while he was on earth. They were all siblings, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus got deathly ill because these bodies are giving out, right? <laughs> and uh, we're going to get new bodies one day, which will be incredible. I can't wait to see how amazing you guys are going to look then. Uh, sorry, that, that's a bad joke. Uh, you, you know, bodies... With, with no sickness, no cancer, no zits, uh, hair in all the right places. I can't wait. And uh, I'm just trying to imitate Josh. That was a great worship, Josh, by the way, and team. Uh, just so powerful and uh, love participating in that. But, you know, our bodies are giving out. And until that day when we get new bodies, then uh, we've got these ones. And so Lazarus was deathly ill. And so they sent a messenger to Jesus. And this is what the messenger uh, said, uh, that your, your friend is sick. And then we see in the scripture, Jesus said, uh, or it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister, which is Mary and Lazarus. So look at this in verse six, because this is kind of strange. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Isn't that kind of unusual wording? Shouldn't it say, I mean, this, this would seem logical to me. He loved them. So when he heard that his friend was sick, he dropped everything he was doing and he rushed to his friend's side to comfort him or to heal him. But it's not what happened. He stayed two days longer. What was that all about? Sometimes God doesn't make sense. Uh, following the two days, we'll get back to this. So following those two days, 
then uh, Jesus says to the disciples, okay, uh, let's go to Judea. Uh, Lazarus and his sisters lived in a little town called Bethany, which was only two miles away from Jerusalem. And the disciples knew that the high priest and the Sanhedrin and all the religious leaders, they were looking for a reason to kill Jesus. So uh, they were... They were going, no, we don't need to go that close to these guys, Jesus. But Jesus knew his time wasn't up. He wasn't nervous. In fact, they didn't take his life. He said, they're not taking it from me. Uh, I am laying it down. It was all part of his plan from the beginning to come and lay down his life that he could redeem us. And so he said, we're going anyway. So when they arrived at the gate, uh, Lazarus had been dead for four days already. So it must have taken the servant a day to get there. He stayed another two days. It took them a day to get to Bethany. He'd been dead for four days. And so Martha came out to the gate. We all handle rejection in different ways. We're told Mary stayed in the house. Uh, that's maybe she was an introvert. Martha marched out to the gate. I like Martha. Uh, <laughs> and she said this, she said, Lord, verse 21, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Uh, and Jesus said, verse 23, your brother's going to rise again. Uh, she thought, she assumed that he was talking about the resurrection of the just in the last days, uh, but he wasn't. He was talking about the miracle that was about to take place within the hour. And so he said, where have you laid him? And they took him to this cave and he said, roll away the stone. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the man rose from the dead and came forth. Okay, three stories of disappointment that I want to talk to you about today. This is the third one. We'll get back to this. And a different response to each story of disappointment that was the wrong response. And then we'll talk about what is God's desired response for us when we're disappointed. Let me give you a scripture that I don't have uh, on the screen. Proverbs 13, 12. Uh, Solomon, King Solomon said, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You are hoping in something. Uh, Pastor Reagan said in the first service, disappointment comes from unfulfilled expectations, right? So you, you have an expectation. You have a hope that something's going to happen and it doesn't happen. And you're left with a sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. What do you do? when that happens. So first story of disappointment I am very familiar with and Linda can verify it. Uh, it's part of our own story, one of the valleys in our lives. So we met in Los Angeles, fell in love right off the bat. No, that's not what happened. Uh, but we did fall in love because YWAM stands for Yes, We Arrange Marriages. No, it doesn't stand for that. It stands for Youth with a Mission. But we fell in love. I proposed to her. She, couldn't, she said yes. And we got married. And then we were leading teams in Los Angeles. And then the Lord spoke to us, go to Denver, Colorado. We didn't know anyone in Denver. <laughs> we didn't know what God was up to. But... You say, yes, sir, when you know it's the Lord, right? We had this clear word. We submitted it to our leaders. We shared it with others. It was unanimous. God was saying, it's time to leave LA and move forward. So we went to Denver with a little team of five people. We started 
the Youth with a Mission ministry there. And it took off from this little team of seven of us. It took off. And in the next 10 to 15 years, we became one of the most fruitful ministries in all of Youth with a Mission, training thousands of young people to go out into all the world. It was so exciting just seeing, you know, sometimes a hundred, a hundred, up to 150 young people coming to uh, each quarter to join us and be trained and sent out. And then God spoke. He whispered something to me that I actually have not fully seen yet. And it's been almost 20 years. And it was prepare for growth. I thought, wow, what's that going to look like? If we've seen this great fruitfulness and now God is saying prepare for growth, wow, that's going to be incredible. <coughs> it wasn't. Everything went sideways. It was, we, wh what's going on, Lord? We, the first thing that happened is we had a former student who had backslidden, turned away from God, who was angry at God and angry at YWAM, and he came into our facility late at night and pulled out a nine millimeter pistol and shot four of our staff. Two of them died that night. It was just a traumatic thing. My first book is called When the Shooting Stopped. Where's God when we suffer? And it's about that because actually through that, we saw thousands of kids recommit their lives to Christ and come back to the Lord. And I believe those two that died were like a seed that fell into the ground and died and yielded much fruit. But at the time, it was, it was baffling. It was a head scratcher. God, what, what's going on? And a number of our staff moved on. In the middle of the confusion, of this, our whole campus was an active crime scene, shut down by the police, and crucial immigration paperwork uh, was misplaced uh, to have uh, foreign students, uh, foreign staff, international staff join us. We were able to grant what's called the Religious Worker Visa, an R1 visa, and the paperwork that was supposed to be submitted to the State Department was misplaced. And the State Department came in and they said, you didn't file on time, uh, so all of your international staff have to leave. And they said this, and they can't come back for five years. Oh, and plus, you can't have any new international staff join you. Then, on top of that, we had a lawsuit. A guy came in and was suing us. It was an unrighteous lawsuit. This guy had a reputation, we found out, for suing where he could see a vulnerability so he could make money. And through our legal counsel, counsel we settled out of court. And then we found out, all of this is happening in succession, that we've got all this money missing. And so we do an investigation, and it turns out a guy that we hired to come in and do some work for us uh, had put in an electronic transfer that he was getting $500 a day out of our general fund, and it wasn't noticed for months, and tens and tens of thousands of dollars had gone missing. So you can see, prepare for growth wasn't the word really to describe what was happening to us. It was prepare for failure would have been the better word, but I'm convinced that's not what God said. He said, prepare for growth. And then our network server was hijacked by a foreign company. I'm not saying it was the Russians. They get blamed for a lot of things, and sometimes rightfully so, and we all do, right? Human nature. But someone 
uh, hijacked our server and so we went to the FBI. Fortunately, we have the FBI and they would know what to do. And their advice was pay them. Pay them? Isn't there anything you guys can do? No, just pay them. There's nothing we can do. We have too many of these, just pay them. And then uh, uh, several other things happened as well. And to say I was disappointed would be an understatement. <laughs> I was disappointed and I'm, I'll just be honest with you, uh, I'm a little ashamed to say that I considered quitting. I considered quitting the ministry and just, let me just go and do something else. Uh, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But I'm embarrassed to say that I actually entertained the thought. That's one of the responses to disappointment is to, to quit. People quit all the time. They quit marriages. They quit churches, jobs, when things are hard. And it's not the right response when things are difficult. Second story of disappointment is from the Old Testament. Genesis 11, verse 30. So, there's a man called Abram, and he meets this girl from his village, and he falls in love, and they get married. And in that ancestry-based culture, having children was the ultimate sign of God's favor and blessing, wasn't it? I mean, that for them, just think of reading through the Bible, you see that for them, having children and, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren was was one of the most important things. But as hard as they tried, they couldn't get pregnant because Genesis 11, verse 30, Sarai was barren. It just wasn't happening. But then Abraham is taking his quiet time with the Lord. He's out walking through the village at night and the Lord speaks to him. And this is what the Lord says, Genesis 15, verse 5. God says, Abram, look up into the night sky. See all the stars? Your descendants are going to outnumber these stars. You're going to have children. And not only that, you're going to live to see your children's children and their children. And eventually your descendants will become a great nation. You can just imagine Abram the excitement, I'm, I could just picture him bursting through the front door of their little place where they were living. Sarah, you won't believe what God spoke to me. We're going to have children. So surely they'll get pregnant now because God spoke to him and it didn't happen. And months turned into years and eight, nine 10 years passed by. The next thing we read, 10 years have passed by. They still can't get pregnant from that time when God spoke to Abram. And Sarai has this idea, Genesis 16, verse 2. She said to her husband, Abram, let me put it in modern terminology. Honey, I know you said you felt God say, we're going to get pregnant and have children, but it's just not happening. Okay. And I'm not getting any younger, you know, so I've had this idea. Why don't you sleep with my Egyptian servant girl and have a child through her and we'll raise her as our own. Abram thought about it and prayed about it carefully for five seconds and agreed it would be a good idea. <laughs> I might've added that part. I'm sure it wasn't that long. Now, but here's the thing. This, this was not 
an uncommon thing in their culture. Rachel did the same thing years later. It wasn't deviant to them. Uh, if a woman couldn't provide her husband with an heir, that's what they would do. And then they would raise that child as their own. So the plan wasn't deviant. The plan wasn't even uncommon. It just wasn't God's plan. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, they got pregnant with Isaac. Uh, sorry, Ishmael. I got, she got pregnant with Ishmael. And, and so they begin to raise this child that wasn't her biological child, but as their own. Uh, another 15 years pass by. Now it has been a quarter of a century since God first spoke to them. And God reminds Abram of the covenant. He, he restates the covenant again. Genesis 17, verse 7 and 8. Now they are 99 years old and 89 years old, past childbearing age, and God speaks to Abram again. And Abram probably went, I know, Lord, you said you're going to give us children, and you keep telling us this, and it's happening because our son Ishmael's a teenager now, and he's going to get married soon and give us the children you told us about. But it wasn't what God was talking about. Uh, and then God said this. He added this. Genesis 17, verse 16. Sarah will be the mother. So God said, I'm going to change your name to Abraham and her name to Sarah. And I will give you a son by her. Wow. Can you imagine that moment? She's going to be the mother. And sure enough, they got pregnant. And then they had Isaac, which... In Hebrew means what? Anyone know? Isaac, what does it mean? Laughter. It means laughter because she said, everybody who hears my story will laugh with me. And by the way, the biggest disappointment was yet to come because another 11 or 12 years, God told them to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And that was disappointment in God himself. I mean, how could God tell them to do this? This was, this was the type of... of uh, things that the nations, the pagan nations around them did for their gods, not Yahweh. How could God do this? And then God had another plan, right? Abraham lifted his knife to slay his son and God said, stop, for now I know that you fear me. And God had another plan. There was a ram in the thicket. The first response to disappointment, the natural human response is to quit. Another response is to do what they did to take matters into your own hands. Okay, I'm gonna fix it. Honey, let's do this. Let's do it this way. Let's do it the way the world says where to do it. And you take matters into your own hands. It's not God's way. If you're facing disappointment, I wanna encourage you. Don't quit, hang in there. Don't take matters into your own hands. Third response to disappointment, that's the wrong response is the text we started with. So let's return then to the story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. When Lazarus got sick, they sent a messenger to Jesus. And this is what the message said, John eleven three. Here's the message. Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
A few days later, the messenger returns alone. He was supposed to bring Jesus with him. Uh, I can just envision the conversation going like this. They see the messenger arrive. Well, did, what happened? Did you give Jesus the message? And, and, and the messenger, I'm sure he went, yes, I did. Um, and, and, you, and you spoke to Jesus personally. You didn't just tell one of the disciples, right? Yes, I did. And, uh, and you made it clear that our brother was, is ill or was ill. At that point, he had died. And, and he said, I did. I mean, that just didn't make sense. What did Jesus say? He just thanked me for the message. <laughs> and you made it clear that our brother is really, was really ill. <laughs> yes, I did. Sometimes God doesn't make sense. So he wants us to trust him anyway. When Linda and I met in California, we got married in a little church in the San Fernando Valley, which is, uh, well, I don't need to describe Los Angeles to you. It is Los Angeles. If you think Atlanta's big, Los Angeles is 160 cities all together. <laughs> we were in the San Fernando Valley, and there's a little church there called Osborne Church. And we were married there. And in this church was a couple uh, who he had a ministry called High Adventure. His name was George Otis, George and Virginia Otis. But prior to him starting this ministry, he was a vice president of this aerospace company called Learjet. Learjet, they build business jets for companies. And he had left the company. I, I can't remember if he was fired or what it was, but he got into a strong disagreement with the owner of the company who founded the company, Bill Lear. Bill Lear and George Otis got into this disagreement and George left the company. Okay? One chapter's closed. He starts this new ministry. And one day he's sitting in his living room watching a football game or something, and the Lord speaks to him. Call Bill Lear on the phone. Well, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to call Bill Lear on the phone. And so he tried to ignore the Lord. Uh, have you ever tried to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit? How many have done that before? You ignore, okay, how's that working for you? Not very good. Because what happens is the Lord again comes back a different way and he won't leave you alone, right? Until you obey him. And so George... Uh, didn't want to talk to Bill this, so he argued with the Lord. And this was his argument. Lord, I don't even know where the man lives. He's not a believer. We're not friends anymore. Uh, and he's got seven different houses, is what he said to the Lord. And I don't even have the phone numbers of these houses. This was before cell phones, if you guys can imagine this. Can you imagine a life without cell phones? And so he, he looked through his... Some of us who are a little bit older will remember what a Rolodex was. He had a Rolodex, so he flipped through his Rolodex and he found one phone number of this vacation house in Arizona. And he thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call that number and no one's going to answer the phone. 
and then the Lord will get off my back. So he called the number and it rang and rang and then Bill Lear answered the phone. Hello? Oh, hello, uh, Bill, this is George. Yeah, George, what do you want? Well, George hadn't thought that far in advance and he didn't have an answer, so he just came clean and he said, look, Bill, I have no idea where I'm calling you. I just know that God told me and there was a sense of urgency in his voice that I needed to call you on the phone, but I don't know why. And there was a long silence. And then Bill Lear said, well, did God tell you what I was doing right now? And, and George Otis thought that he was being sarcastic. And he said, look, Bill, I have no idea what you're doing. I just am minding my own business. And God just kept hounding me that I needed to call you but he wasn't being sarcastic. There was another long silence and then Bill Lear said, George, I was sitting on the end of my bed right now with a revolver pointed at my temple about to end it all when the phone rang. That afternoon, Bill Lear gave his life to Jesus Christ <laughs> because of a man, yeah. Woo. Because of a man who was willing to obey God even when he didn't make sense. What Mary and Martha didn't get was that Jesus wanted Lazarus to die. He wanted him to die. C could you put verse five and six again back up there? So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was because they thought if Jesus could be here, he would heal our brother. Jesus had something better in mind. It wasn't a healing, it was a resurrection. <laughs> and sometimes God allows things to die. And in your life, for some of you, you're encountering something right now where something looks like it's dying. And I wanna tell you, when God resurrects something, it's greater than something that never died. And maybe that's what He has in mind. <laughs> yeah. One temptation when we're disappointed is to quit. Don't do it. Another is to take matters into your own hands. No, don't do that either. The third is to think that Jesus doesn't care. It's not true. We just don't understand his purposes, but it's not that he doesn't care. If he's, you feel like he's ignoring you. Is God ghosting you? Have you ever prayed something and he's, he's leaving you on red? You know what that means? Okay, right? And anyone who's not a Gen Z doesn't know what that is. I just learned it the other day. When, when someone's leaving you on red, okay, what the heck is that? Well, not R-E-D, but R-E-A-D, okay? You're texting them and texting them, and they're leaving you on red, okay? They're not answering you. Has God been leaving you on red? Just trust Him. Just keep on moving with the last word that He gave you and trust Him. And the devil is going to whisper and say, Jesus doesn't care about you. And it's not true. He does. He's got something better in mind. But you're going to have to let him resurrect that and bring it about. And by the way, it's okay to be frustrated. Mary and Martha were frustrated. We each handle rejection in a different way. The word got to them four days after they sent the messenger. Four days after Lazarus had already died. Jesus is at the gate. So the messenger came running in. Jesus is at the gate. 
We're told Mary stayed in the house. She probably didn't want to see him. She was probably an introvert. Martha, on the other hand, marched out to the gate. <laughs> Do you think she gave him the business? I bet she did. I bet. I mean, they were friends, right? I imagine the conversation went like this. Well, nice of you to show up, Jesus. Would have been really nice if you'd have showed up four days ago when we sent for you. You come right away when I cook a meal for you. <laughs> what took you so long this time? Verse 21, John eleven twenty-one. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I want to change one letter here from disappointment. What Mary and Martha didn't understand was that their disappointment was his appointment. <laughs> Sometimes we're disappointed because we don't see the bigger purposes of God and our disappointment actually becomes his appointment for what he is going to do that's greater than what we thought. And you know what? We all face disappointment. Some of you guys are facing it right now like we are. We're having to put our trust in the Lord because there are things that still are not making sense. But look through the Bible. They all face disappointment. This, my book, and by the way, if you can't afford one, I want to give you one if you'll read it. Uh, just come back to the table later on. But Joseph, God gives him two dreams. Wow, how exciting. But it's 13 years. He was a 17-year-old. And how many of you are like around 17 within a year or two? Okay. I know I'm not looking over here because I, I can tell. Uh, and, and, and he's 17, but he's 13 years. And then at 30, vice president of Egypt in one day. But he faced disappointment. I think David's disappointment was very great because it was his own dad. Maybe you've had disappointment with your own family. Here, can you imagine this? The prophet Samuel is about to show up at Jesse's household. Jesse lives in Bethlehem, okay, and word gets to him. Samuel is on the way, and he is going to coronate the next king of Israel, and it's going to be one of your sons, Jesse. So Jesse lines up all of his sons, except David. He left him out in the field. Think of how David must have felt. Even his own dad had no ambition for him to be king. Wow. But he didn't give up either. Hannah faced disappointment because like Sarai, she couldn't have children. The children of Israel faced disappointment when Moses took over 40 days up on the mountain. What the heck is he doing up there? So they took the gold and the silver that had been given to them by the Egyptians to build the tabernacle in the promised land. And they did what Abram and Sarai did. They took matters into their own hands and they made a false god to worship. Jesus at least didn't face disappointment, right? He did. Jesus faced disappointment. Look at, look at Mark. That's Mark, if you're American. Mark 14, 50. Here Jesus, facing his greatest moment of pain and suffering. It's interesting. There is something the medical community just recently has put a name to it. it's called hematidrosis have you ever heard of that hematidrosis let me i looked up the the, the exact hematidrosis 
uh, is a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood out of the pores. It occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. The Bible records it of Jesus that blood came out through his sweat. That's what it was. He was under such emotional stress and they all left him. They all abandoned him one by one, right? Isn't that what it says? Mark 14, 50, one by one, they all abandoned him. Maybe you've had someone abandon you and that's part of the disappointment. Jesus identifies with that. God the Father faced disappointment when the man he had chosen to be king disregarded his instructions and the Lord said, 1 Samuel 15, 11, the Lord regretted having made Saul king. And so maybe you're facing disappointment because you didn't get the promotion you thought you deserved. Or maybe you were excluded from a, a group of friends. You thought you were part of that circle and they left you out. Or maybe you thought you'd be married by now. Or maybe you can't have children like Hannah and Sarai. What do you do? What do you do when you're in that place? Don't quit. Don't take things into your own hands. Don't preempt what God wants to do. Don't believe the lie that Jesus doesn't care. Align yourself with God's purposes. That's what Hannah did. Hannah couldn't get pregnant. Oh God, give me a son. Give me a son. She kept praying. It wouldn't happen. And finally, finally, she aligned with the purposes of God. And she said, God, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to you. And she got pregnant. Align yourself with the will of God. Someone said, there is no disappointment for those whose wills are buried in the will of God. No disappointment for those whose wills are buried in the will of God. Isn't that what Jesus did? Can you put up that last scripture, Luke 22, 42? Here, his moment of greatest agony, he's sweating drops of blood under such emotional stress, but he aligned himself with the will of God. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, can you say nevertheless? Nevertheless. Not my will. Go ahead. Say, not my will, but yours be done. Repeat that after me again. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Yeah, Pastor Reagan, you want to come here and let me hand this back to you. Lord Jesus, we don't want to allow what we don't know to take away from what we do know. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And we're prepared to trust you in that. We align ourselves with you. King Jesus, bring about your purposes in our lives. We pray that you might be glorified.